Clint series. Yeah, hi guys, it's me, Clint. Hi online, glad that you're here. Uh, special shout out to my wife who is at home with our uh, sick three-year-old who's got the double ear infection. So uh, she's like, honey, if you want, I'll go preach for you today and you can, <laughs> you can stay at home. So you're the real hero. I uh, love you. Uh, anyway, friends, uh, I'm so glad that we're all here together. Uh, we're doing this Advent series. And, you know, Christmas, it's nearly here. And Christmas, it's all about those presents, right? At least if you ask my kids. They are so excited. They keep seeing those Amazon boxes show up. and like, Daddy, is it Christmas yet? No, no, no. It's not Christmas right now. Um, and yeah, the, the present thing, it can get out of hand. We do have to keep in mind just kind of, you know, the consumeristic nature of it. But at its heart, Christmas is a season of gift-giving. It's a season of God's over-the-top generosity. And God, you know, he gave us this amazing gift. He came to us as Jesus. And through Jesus, God welcomes us into our true home. He welcomes us into relationship with him. So at its heart, Christmas really is all about gift-giving. But here's the thing, and what we're going to talk about today is the why we give gifts. That's what matters. The best kind of gift is one that's joyfully given. The best kind of gift is given with the motivation of love. So look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For you know the grace, the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his, his poverty we might become rich. But why? Why did Jesus give us this incredible gift? And I loved what Steph said during our offering announcement today. Uh, she quoted Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus went to the cross. His motivation was love, and he experienced joy in the middle of it. Joyful giving. It's what God does. And as we uh, grow in our relationship with him, as we're transformed to be more like him, that's what he wants from us. So today, we're going to learn how to give like that. Um, so let's start with maybe looking at you know, the, the three very first gifts that we see given on the first Christmas. These gifts are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know the, that little song? You put that, I think there's a little song. I'm not going to sing it. Yeah, you guys know this one? Uh, oh, hey, my daughter's trying to FaceTime me. <laughs> Hi, Clara. Yeah, I see you, sweetie. <laughs> Isn't that great? You got to love kids. Um, oh, she would have died if I would have answered. Um, so look at the thing. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. So these gifts, they're important. They have meaning behind them. Um, but what's fun about this story is, you know, we, we call it like the story of the three kings, the three wise men. These guys weren't actually kings. Uh, the word used is magi. And if you're like me, you hear Magi and you think about the 1999 hit movie starring Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz, The Mummy. You know the Magi keeping Imhotep in the, in the tomb? That's not what these guys do. Get that out of your head. Uh, the Magi, it's translated 
uh, as, uh, we, the word is magi, but that's where we get our, our word for mage, uh, magician, sorcerer, wizard. Guys, these are Christmas wizards. <laughs> and they're bringing gifts to Jesus. Isn't that crazy cool? Then they don't show up at a manger like we see in the nativity scene. They show up at Jesus' house a little while later. But today, we're going to pay close attention to this story because there's so many things that we can learn when we focus in on it rather than adding things like these guys being kings from afar. We don't even know if there are three of them. It never says that there's three. There may have been a whole bunch. We don't know. Um, but we're going to pay attention to these joyful guys, these uh, happy astrologers that come from a far-off land to pay tribute to this, this beautiful little baby king. Uh, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. So why don't you, you can grab a Bible, it's on the, under the chair underneath you, or you can follow along on the screen. But before we start, uh, I just want to pray for us. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you even more right now. Father, we thank you just for the gift that we receive at Christmas in Jesus. And Lord, this holiday season, would you help us to focus on the joy and the love behind the gift giving? Would you help us not to get bogged down in the details and the logistics and the worries? But would you help us to experience your joy? Yes, Father, would you be with us as we dive into your word today? In your holy name, amen. So Matthew chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, it said, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, not kings, from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born? Oh, I just read that. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Uh, and you know, they, they like plan this out. They plan to worship and they bring gifts as their part of worship. Uh, so when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was not joyful. And all Jerusalem was with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. And N.T. Wright, he translates it this way. They were besides themselves with joy and excitement. These guys are pumped. They're thrilled. And so we may add parts of the story, but we sometimes, I know I sometimes skip over this part of their absolute off-the-walls joy. All right, let's keep going. Verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these are kingly gifts. These would be expensive. Um, you know, there's some debate on like what exactly the gifts mean, but the, the, the gold like signifies Jesus's like kingship. 
that he's royalty. The frankincense was burned in temples. So this is likely tied to his divinity. And then the myrrh was like an expensive perfume, like a, like a lotion that they'd rub on, that pe like people would rub on themselves. So this signifies his humanity. So in these three gifts, we get the essence of Messiah wrapped up into one. His, uh, his royalty, his divinity, his humanity. Um, and this, this is the story of these joyful guys who give these three gifts that are worthy of a king. And this story can help you and I become joyful givers as we press into Christmas. Now, uh, kind of like how we see things in the story that aren't there, we can easily give motives to these guys uh, that are wrong, that are false. And we gotta be careful of this as we give gifts because we don't wanna give gifts out of a, out of a bad place. We wanna give gifts out of this place of joy and love. So before we go any farther, let's look at some motives that we might give to the wise men, uh, the magi, correction, um, or some, some ways that we may give gifts that maybe aren't the most healthy. Um, yeah, because so, what we know is that joyful, uh, joyful giving to God doesn't really depend on how much we give. So one of the false motives that we can, we can give to these guys is that, oh, they're kings. You know, so we tell the story of the three, the three kings. We three kings. Nah, 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 nah. We could say, these guys are kings. They have enough. And it's out of their extravagance that they're giving. That's not right. That's not right. These guys aren't kings. They're magi. And it doesn't matter uh, whether we're rich or poor or somewhere in between. We can all be joyful givers. The Apostle Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians... Um, he includes like this, like this giving letter, like this solicitation. This is in chapters 8 and 9. Paul asks the Corinthians to give money to help the poor in Jerusalem. And he starts by giving this extraordinary example to kind of illustrate it. So 2 Corinthians 8, it says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So the, the Macedonians, they're kind of like me. They're a poor boy from a poor family, but, and there's a couple of you that got that one. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Out of their poverty, they still experienced this, this overwhelming joy that then overflowed into generosity. So verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. What a great example. We don't have to be kings. We don't have to be rich to be joyful, extravagant givers. We all get to play. This is for each and every one of us. But first, as this verse says, we have to give ourselves above all things to the Lord. When we do that, then we can experience his love and his grace, and we can stop worrying, and we're free to live generous, extravagant lives. Uh, all right, 
Let's go back to the, the Magi. Why did these joyful guys give baby Jesus these three gifts worthy of a king? Some of the, the commentaries that you might read about this verse talk about how these gifts were necessary to Jesus' tiny little family, you know, Mary and Joseph, uh, because they ended up fleeing to Egypt. They, they had to go to Egypt as refugees because in a couple of verses we're going to see that Herod, he went a, a little bit berserk and started killing all the baby boys under two. And these commentaries point out that like, oh, these gifts would have been really helpful in their flight to Egypt. And well, that's maybe true. Um, we have no indication in the text that the Magi knew this. And in fact, if we think about it, joyful giving to God isn't a care package and it isn't pity or guilt. These magi, they didn't give uh, because they're like, oh, poor Jesus, you're going to have to run away to Egypt. Here's a care package to see you on your journey. We don't give a pity gift to a king. That's not how this works. Now, I'm not saying that we should ignore needs. That's not what I'm saying. In a way, money is needed to do kingdom work. Take, for example, our food shelf. Uh, Barry, our compassion director. Barry, say hi. Hi, Barry. Um, Barry can tell you, like right now, our food shelf is giving away a ton of food. There is a real need, and we can't recall a time in recent memory when we've given away as much food on a consistent basis like this, and it takes real money to buy food from Second Harvest. And if you've been with us any amount of time this last year, you know that for our church community, this year has been extremely challenging. And although there's a lot of good things coming out of this challenge, there's been some real hardships and there's been some real expenses. And like right now, our finances are in the red by about $100,000 for the year. And I don't say that, to, you know, I don't know, try to stir up anxiety or fear. In fact, like we fully believe that we serve the king of the universe who has all the resources and we're going to be fine. Like he is going to provide a way and we're going to trust that if we follow the king of the universe, he's going to provide what we need to continue to serve him in the way that he wants us to serve him. And it's likely that some of those resources are going to come from people like you and people like me contributing financially. But at the end, we're going to figure this thing out. Uh, but my hope and my prayer today is that none of us will give out of a feeling of pity or guilt that's not a good motivation to give. So please don't look up here and be like, oh, look at Clint. He's so nice. Steph is so nice. Becca's so nice. Brian's so nice. It, it's so sad that they're stressed out by these finances. I'm going to throw some extra money in the plate. Don't give out of pity, guys. That's not what this is about. This message isn't a cash grab. It's not to make you feel guilty. Nothing like that. This is an invitation into experiencing joy the type of joy that those ancient magicians knew, the type of joy that made them leave everything they knew to go on this perilous journey to find a teenage mom holding a baby and bow down and worship. I'm inviting you into that type of joy. Have you ever felt that? Where you just feel this joy well up in you and you can't help but smile? Uh, so yesterday, I felt like I caught a glimpse of this. Um, we, my my She's almost five. She'll be five in like a couple of weeks. Clara, my oldest daughter, the one that called me just now. I took her to like her first birthday party of a friend. 
Uh, one, of the, one of the little girls from her school was having a birthday party at the bowling alley, which was absolutely chaos. You ever been to a five-year-old's birthday party at the bowling alley? None of them know the rules. They're all trying. So many balls hit the, the, the fall-down arm. It was wild. Um, but Clara, she was so excited. She's been talking about this birthday party for weeks. And uh, she picked out the present for her friend. And she was so excited to give this gift. Daddy, I think she's going to love it. Daddy, I picked out this present. I can't, I'm so excited. Even like we get there, open mine first, open mine first. You know, she's trying to like fight people to give her, give this present. And Clara, be patient. Everything's a teachable moment. Um, but it's final time and the little girl opened this present and her face like lit up with joy. And then I looked at Clara and her face lit up with joy. And she's got this big smile and she like runs to me and she goes, Daddy, I think she loved it. <laughs> yeah, isn't that sweet? And you know what? In that moment, my heart overflowed with joy. And I felt like in that moment, I got a glimpse of this stuff. Like the Father heart of God. As we enter into generous giving, as we are experiencing that joy and giving to others, like God's heart is just so full. Like we all get to experience this joy together. And that's what like this Christmas season is all about. I think that's what God has for each and every one of us this season. Uh, all right, so let's jump back to these three magi. Um, why do these guys give this, this gift uh, to this baby, these three gifts, right? Uh, we could easily say that they gave it to try to like curry favor. You ever do that thing or see that thing where like, you give a gift to a person in the position of power, and you're like, hey, man, hey, boss, have this gift. Remember me when you're doing Christmas bonuses. You know, you bring the teacher the apple, like, hey, man, I know I didn't APA cite all my sources correctly, but here's an apple. APA citation, oh, my gosh. Um, so we could say, hey, maybe they're trying to, like, bribe the king. Joyful giving is not a bribe to God. You can't bribe God. Look at Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Our God is not bribable. And unfortunately, we live in a society that is very bribable. And there's little bits of us, maybe not you, there's little bits of me that like that idea that like that idea, that if I, if I give something, I'll get something in return. And you ever see those, uh, like the, this gets twisted in the church setting, like give now, if you tithe, then God will reward you with a Cadillac. You ever see those? Gosh, I feel like I hear this every New Year's. You know, the Lord spoke to me in a vision, and he said that if you give $24 in 2024, he will bless you abundantly. You ever hear that stuff? Oh my gosh, where does that come from? It comes from a twisting of Scripture. It comes from a twisting of Scripture. Uh, look at uh, uh, that verse in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 9, verse 6. Paul writes, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Pause. Some people hold on to that like, okay, cool. So if I put $10 in, I'll get $20 out? I'm sowing generously, I'll reap generously? No, no, no. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. 
Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, note, not all that you want, all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's the promise, friends. As we sow, as we become generous, we receive more of God's righteousness. We are transformed so that we can experience more of this joy so that we can continue to pour out. God gives so that we can give. And it becomes like this snowball effect. The more we give, the more we're able to give. And then what happens is we're transformed so that when we give, we don't feel a loss. We don't feel the loss of our gift. Rather, we experience the joy of giving that gift. Uh, and I invite you, try this. Try this out this season. The holiday season is a perfect time to press into generosity. And this can be in little ways, and this can be in big ways. We've talked a lot about the financial side, but this can also be in other ways. So for example, this holiday season, what would it look like for you to be the pocket knife dad at the family Christmas? You know that guy? Like all the kids are trying to open their presents and they're like, ah, twist eyes. And they're like, who's got the knife? And there's that one dad who like whips out his pocket knife. Now, pocket knife dad, you know, that's a term. It could be, you know, like uh, an aunt with a scissors. It could be a cousin with a machete, whatever. <laughs> I've been sitting there before and I got the pocket knife and I wear a fanny pack now. <laughs> I keep my pocket knife in my fanny pack. Uh, had to bust it out at the birthday party the other day. It was real funny, like walking past all the dads to get my fanny pack and get my knife out. Um, but sometimes I'm sitting there, I'm like, if I get my knife out, I'm going to have to open all these presents. If I don't, I can just sit here and enjoy like my hot chocolate, and I don't have to actually do anything. What would it look like for you to be the pocket knife dad and be like, all right, for the next three hours, I'm cutting every box open. <laughs> or lots of opportunities. You could be that aunt that gets the big garbage bag and throws all the, all the wrapping paper in it. You could be that grandparent who goes down into the basement to watch all the cousins because you know that they're down there and they're wrestling a little bit too rough and they're saying spicy words that they probably shouldn't be saying. <laughs> I've been a cousin. <laughs> um... What does it look like for you this holiday season to kind of step outside your comfort zone to sacrifice your time, your money, your comfort, and trust that you're going to be met with joy? What does that look like for you? All right, let's jump back in to these kings. Not kings. See, I keep slipping into it. These magi that gave these gifts. Did these, they give these gifts because it was some sort of a rule? Because it was in the handbook? Because they had to? Nope. Joyful giving to God is not legalistic. 
We just read uh, in Paul's giving letter, his solicitation letter in 2 Corinthians, that we should feel no compulsion to give. We shouldn't give because we have to. He makes it even clearer later on in that letter uh, when he's asking them to give. So let's jump down, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8. Paul says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And jump down to verse 12. For if the, wi- for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Here we see that God loves a cheerful giver, a willing giver. Now, um, like, my jo- like Paul, my job is to ask you to give. I'm not going to command it. I can't do that. You have your free will. But I'm going to say, this holiday season, what would it look like for you as an act of worship to give a gift to God? And my prayer is that this gift would help you experience more joy in your life. That by giving, you're connected with that father heart of God, that generous heart that overflows, and you get to experience God in a new way, just like the Magi who gave their gifts and bowed down in worship. Now, I do need to circle back on something that Paul said. Because he said, I want to test the sincerity of your love. Friends, I don't like tests. I just got done with finals. I don't need to do another test for like two more months. I don't like them. However, tests, they can be healthy if they show us the truth so that we can move forward. And that's what this test is. Joyful giving to God is a test. It's a heart test. Our giving shows us what's most important in our hearts. It's like, um, you remember the, the Grinch, the animated one, where they like slide that thing over and it shows his heart is like three sizes too small? Giving is like that. I recently like watched the Jim Carrey Grinch movie. Not bad. <laughs> I've been against it because I like the animated one so much. Not bad. Anyway, heart, three sizes too small. Um, giving points to the condition of our heart. And there's this book, it's called Sex and Money. Uh, it's guy, by a guy named Paul David Tripp. And in there, he says, money will expose what you really value and what you truly serve. Think about that. Money will expose what we value and what we serve. It's a test. Whether, uh, to see whether or not we're like the Macedonians, or are we giving ourselves first to the Lord. And Timothy Keller, who is a, uh, a pastor in New York City, wrote lots of books. Uh, he said it this way. It was even more pointed. He said, Paul is actually saying the way you know you have actually experienced the grace of God is if you're radically generous. Paul was saying that if you need to be commanded to give, you have never experienced the grace of God. Now let's pause there for a second because I bet that there are some of us here we're starting to check out a little bit. So if you're checked out, can you just come back? Come back? Online? Close that second tab. Come back over here. 
This is important. Friends, I get it. Times are tight. Inflation, out of control. Wages haven't caught up. Taxes keep increasing. There's some of us here, probably more of us than like to admit it, we feel like we're drowning. And the last thing that any of us wants to hear is if you love God, then you're going to give X amount of money to show it. That is not what I'm saying. That's not God's heart. We can't buy a relationship with God. This test that Paul's talking about, it's a heart test, not a numbers on a spreadsheet test. And Tim Keller, in this next little bit, he goes on, and I hope you really listen to this next part, because when I read it, guys, this is one of the most powerful things I've ever read when it comes to financial giving and tithing. And tithing is giving 10% of your income um, as an act of worship to the church. This is one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. So tune in, and then you can open that second tab again. <laughs> All right, so Keller says, if when you look at 10% and you realize the Bible sees this as a minimum amount, a minimum rule of thumb for how much you should be giving away, a person who's a moralist or a legalist will say, that's ridiculous. A person who's been touched by the grace of God, who owes everything to Christ, what you may say is, I'm strapped. I can't do it. I'm too much in debt. I have obligations. I'm in trouble. I can't make it. But you would never say, that's unreasonable. Never. You have a pragmatic way to find out whether you're a legalist or a real Christian today. If 10% is unreasonable to the one who's given you everything, you don't know him yet. If it's reasonable, but you don't know how you're going to get there, that's different. That's different. So if you're sitting here today, you hear me talk about 10%, you hear me talk about finances, and you're like, man, I'm worried about feeding my kids. Check the heart. Are we saying that's unreasonable? Or are we saying, I'm struggling? Which way is your heart pointing? And Keller is right about joyful giving. Joyful giving is a response to experiencing, to being touched by the grace, by the gift of God. You know, Paul, the first thing he said in that letter, uh, he ties it to grace, he ties it to God, he ties it to the, the generosity of the Macedonians and their extraordinary giving. Paul spells out God's extraordinary gift and he describes God's gift in such a powerful way. And that's what he's saying about Christmas, what it's all about. So let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 8 again. For you know the grace, the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. You see, joyful giving to God is a response to God's gift. Let's start with the Magi. They see a star in the sky, so they make a trip. They make a trip to see this baby king. Think about it. They see this star. Maybe they hear some rumors, but they didn't see Jesus, you know, perform any miracles. They didn't see him heal the sick. They didn't see him feed people. They didn't hear his sermon on the mount. They saw a star. And they said, 
we're going to go worship. And they show up, and they don't see a king. They see a tiny baby being held by a teenage mom, and they give him kingly gifts. That, my friends, is faith. That's one of the most powerful examples of faith, I think, in all of Scripture. And my prayer for each of us today is that the Holy Spirit would give us that kind of faith, that we would see a sign, we'd see the star, we'd recognize God's presence, and we'd move towards it. And as we move towards it, we'd experience joy that overflows into generosity. What's something else? is these magi, they were the first Gentiles. Gentile is um, like non-Jewish person. They were the first Gentiles to recognize Jesus as the king of the Jews. And this wouldn't really happen again until the soldiers, the Romans that crucified him, they mocked him. They said, hail, king of the Jews. And the presents they gave him were a crown of thorns, a savage beating, and a cross for a throne. And that night, there was no star in the sky. The whole sky went black. It was in that moment, one of these soldiers cried out, surely he was the son of God. Think about that gift, that lavish gift, that our king should die on the cross for me, that our king should die for you that our king should die for our neighbor, for our family member. That's an amazing gift. So we consider the Magi. Now look at the Macedonians. They're dirt poor. They're broke. Uh, <laughs> kind of like Minnesota, ancient Macedonia was in the north part of Greece. So uh, they're in this, just like us, they're in like this, this northern part. And the Macedonians, they had heard about Jesus' crazy miracles, They had folks uh, tell him about Jesus' brilliant teachings. Like us, the Macedonians, they had the examples of Paul and his teachings to explain what Jesus had done in his gift. Uh, Now, uh, Philippi was one of the Macedonian cities, and in Philippians 2, we read, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus leaves heaven, leaves everything that he knows, empties himself, becomes human, lives a selfless life, and goes to the cross for us so that we could be free the consequences of sin and death. And we can experience his joy, his righteousness. We can experience relationship with God. What an amazing gift. What an amazing gift. For you know the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And now maybe it's a little hard for us to get our minds around how rich we are in Christ. In Galatians, Paul writes, but when the the set time had fully come, that's Christmas, the set time, the very first Christmas, God sent his son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Think about that gift. Not only do we get to have relationship with God, but we have been made his sons. We have been made his daughters. We are heirs to the kingdom. This is our identity. We are children of God being welcomed into his loving arms. Just like when Clara ran to me yesterday, jumped up in my arms and said, Daddy, she loved her gift. That's what we get to do to our Heavenly Father. We get to run into his arms and feel his embrace. We are Jesus' prized possessions, and he is ours for all eternity. So we've looked at the Magi. We've looked at the Macedonians. What about us? Because we get to decide, will we accept this gift? Will we accept this grace? Will we unwrap this present? Or are we going to leave it in the box? Are we going to walk around unconnected to the ultimate gift giver? So today, I just invite you to grab hold of that gift. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time. Because this is something that we have to do each and every day. So this Christmas, let's receive the one gift that really matters. Let's receive the love and generosity of God that changes us because joyful giving to God is a response to this gift. Just like the Magi, we can become overwhelmed with joy. We can experience excitement. We can worship God by giving gifts. When we do that, we'll want to sacrifice to give him gifts worthy of a king. So as we joyfully give, we'll tell Jesus that he is our treasure, not our things. So friends, let's put some wheels on this thing. We do this thing here at, uh, at the vineyard. It's called ministry time. And this is an opportunity to do all the things that we're talking about, to welcome God into our hearts, to take time to connect with him, to receive that gift that he so desperately wants to give us. So friends, uh, why don't you stand up with me? I'm gonna open us in prayer. And I'm just gonna leave. We're not gonna rush it. Um, we got a little bit of time. I'm going to open us in prayer. We're going to wait on the Holy Spirit. We're going to take an opportunity to receive this gift. And I've, as I've been praying, I have a few things that I think God might be wanting to do in the room. Uh, but let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here even more right now. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the joy of receiving that gift of him on Christmas. Father, would you fill us with that joy? Would you fill us with that hope?
And I feel like for some of us, there's this invitation to experience even more joy this Christmas season. And maybe for you, Christmas isn't a time of joy. Maybe like the, the joy this season has been dampened. You know, maybe there's financial things going on and you read that Tim Keller quote and you're like, oh man, I want to get to that 10%, but I'm strapped. I think there's a real opportunity here uh, to surrender some of that stuff to the Lord and let him give you that joy. Maybe your joy is being robbed by like illness and death in the family and the holidays just aren't the same this year. There's an opportunity to experience God's love and his grace and his joy in the middle of our sadness and our sorrow. The two can exist together. They don't have to be separate. For some of us, I feel like there's an invite into experiencing joy even in the middle of like the goofy family dynamics that happen at the holiday season. And for some of us, I think there's just a lot of um, shame, guilt, emotions wrapped up around this financial giving piece. If that's you, I just pray that God would liberate you from that even in this moment that you would be free to be a son, to be a daughter, to be an heir of the kingdom, and that these financial stresses and strains and worries wouldn't control you. So Lord, would you come and fill us up even more right now? And if you're on the prayer ministry team, you can start making your way forward. If God has been speaking to you today, uh, we're going to have some folks come up here that would love to just pray alongside of you to bless what God's doing, to help you connect with the Father so that you can experience that amazing joy. We'll pray about anything that's going on uh, in your life, both the good and the bad. Um, so just in a minute, I'll invite you if you want to receive prayer to come on up. But before we, before we close here, uh, as I was praying this morning, I just got this image. One of the ways that God um, can speak to us is through like these thought pictures. And I saw, as clear as day, I saw this picture of somebody, um, they were dressed like, like the ringmaster at a circus, and you were walking across this tightrope, and you were looking, and you were seeing all the people in the crowd looking up at you, and you're like, I don't know if I can do it, I don't know if I can do it, and then you fell. And so I feel like there's somebody, maybe a couple of you here today, that you feel like you're doing this balancing act, that you're trying to keep the chaos of this circus in check, and you just don't know. You just don't know if you can do it. If that's you, if you are stressed, if you are nervous, if you feel like you are falling, if you're drowning, man, I think God's got some really great stuff for you. So if that's you, I'm gonna invite you to come up at the end here, take a risk, and let one of these folks pray with you because I bet God's got some really great stuff for you. So Holy Spirit, would you just bless us? Would you fill us up? Would you help us to experience your joy this holiday season? So friends, we're gonna spend some more time in worship. And at any point, I just invite you to come forward and get some prayer. Thank you so much for coming to the vineyard.